Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. Today's message is twinkle, twinkle. I want to start where it starts, at least for us in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and read it to you. Look down there with me. In the beginning, God, and as I've said before, a number of people state, whatever you do with those first four words in the Bible determines your whole worldview. If it's not in the beginning, God, it's got to be something else. And you are subject to a lot of speculation and a lot of, to me, it takes a whole lot more faith personally to believe in a big bang than in a big God. And if you start with in the beginning God, then the next phrase is he created the heavens and the earth, the macrocosm, the microcosm. You say, well, the earth is not a small thing. In terms of the universe, it is a little bitty thing. So God created the vast expanse of the universe and the earth is this little bitty speck of dust in the middle of it, basically, proportionately. Now go down to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 with me. God has started creating things and he does things in a day and he speaks and things happen. And right here in verse 14, this is what happens. Then God said, now let me stop right here before I even read you this. When God speaks, things happen. And the reason it is so important to stay in God's word and to know God's word and to hide it in your heart is that when you take God's words and you speak those words, they have power. All God had to do was speak a few words and things, unbelievable things, astronomical things, literally in this case happened. And it says here, then God said, and here's the quote, this is what he spoke. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons. So we have night and day as a result of this. The orbits, the spinning, coming around the sun and going back into darkness. Let them be for signs and for seasons. Part of the reason that God put the stars in the sky is the purpose of being for signs. To show us things. To tell us things. God could have gotten Jesus on the planet without, for instance, some Bethlehem star. And frankly, the whole wise men got a bunch of people killed. If there had not been a star of Bethlehem, if the wise men had not observed that star of Bethlehem, if they had not come looking for this baby born king of the Jews, if they had not stirred up Jerusalem and gotten Herod all upset trying to find out where this king was that might supplant and take his place on the throne and had every child under two years of age and younger killed in and around Bethlehem, no star, no wise men, no stir, and, and those kids would have lived. Why in the world would God go to the trouble and risk so much and there'd be so much pain as a result of putting these signs in the heavens? Because he knew we'd come along and with computers and science and observation, whether it's Kepler and the like, to come along and figure these things out. We track them. We can go back and look at them. He knew this stuff would happen and that we would have another way to try to disprove who he was. But he'd say, nah, I'm still in the stars. I'm everywhere. And you can factor me out, but you're going to have to count me in sooner or later because I have made myself known in the microcosm, big, little, I'm everywhere. So on that day, he put these from the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And we even have our calendar tied to the planets. We don't just make stuff up. We clock it literally by the orbits and the rotations and what the universe does. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. 
quote unquote, and it was so. Just like that, he speaks, and these things happen. Then God made two great lights, verse 16. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Just kind of a side. Oh, let's make some stars too. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Four days into it and you got the universe. I almost should pray again before we do this because I'm going to read you some stuff that I don't even get. And I'm going to read it, and I've read it a number of times, and I cannot comprehend this. But I'll read it slow and give us some time to absorb. Just some facts about the universe. We learn from the astronomers that the Milky Way, the disc-shaped galaxy to which our sun belongs, is a family of more than 100 billion stars. And these scientists say that there may be as many as 100 billion other galaxies in the universe. And they believe that the billions of these galaxies, billion stars, may be hundreds of millions of planets like our Earth. Not that they're inhabited necessarily, but just planets like our Earth. And all of that, God's creation from a one-sentence command. God speaks. And billions of stars and planets and billions of galaxies. Anything may be reproduced on scale model except the universe. Now listen to this. The impossibility of making such a model accurately is shown by the fact that if the earth were represented by a ball one inch in diameter, the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, would have to be placed nearly 51,000 miles away to give you some perspective. A man looking up at the sky on a clear night sees as much of the universe as a protozoan might see of the ocean in which it drifts. The moon, the planets, and the few thousand stars which are visible to him are as a single drop of water in the boundless sea of the universe. Now listen to this one. The sun is so large that if it were hollow... The sun is so large that if it were hollow, it could contain more than one million worlds the size of our earth. It would take a million earths, planets the size of the earth, to fill a hollow sun. That's how huge the sun itself is. There are stars in space so large that they could easily hold 500 million suns the size of ours. There are stars in space that are so large that they could easily hold 500 million suns the size of ours. And we've already seen that the sun could hold a million worlds the size of our Earth. There are about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy, and there are at least 100 million galaxies in the known universe. Now guys, the reason I'm even going over this is if you ever even try to get a glimpse of the universe and this God that created it, all this stuff you're worried about is going to just go away. What can he not do if on the fourth, just the fourth day, he said, well, let's make the universe. Whew, there it goes. And then he goes into the details following, you've got the vegetation, all these other things. Let me read you one other story. William Beebe was no armchair scholar. His extensive knowledge of nature was gained from explorations into the jungles of Asia and South America and to the bottom of the ocean in the world's first bathsphere. Beebe had much in common with his friend Theodore Roosevelt, who also loved nature and exploring. Often after a visit at Sagamore Hill, Beebe recalled he and the president went outdoors to see who could first locate the Andromeda galaxy in the constellation of Pegasus. Then gazing at the tiny smudge of distant starlight, Beebe or Roosevelt would say, 
That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each one larger than our sun. After that thought sunk in, Roosevelt had to flash his famous toothy grin, quote, now I think we're small enough, and the two men would retire, put in their place by the limitless universe. Now I think we're small enough. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 40 with me. Isaiah 40, let's start with verse 7. He says, The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. For God, it's just the whole universe like pulling a curtain over. That's how simple it was for him. And spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like the stubble. Now listen to God's question here in verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Look up at the skies. God knows every star, not one of them is missing. He calls them by name. And then verse 7, why do you say, in response to what God just said, he says, O Jacob, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. God doesn't know I'm here. He's forgotten about me. Why do you ask these silly questions? I mean, we all have them, but when you get a glimpse of who God is, why would we wonder whether he can take care of us, whether he can do anything about our situation? Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 48, verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. I've got it covered from beginning to end. You're not going to catch me by surprise, basically. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. Look over at Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? If you go back to Isaiah chapter 40, don't go back there, but let me read you a line out of that that we didn't read and I want to go back to. Verse 11, he said, He will feed his flock like a shepherd and he will gather his lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? It's as if God could take his hand and measure all the waters on the planet like we'd scoop up a little cup of water, something of water, a sip of water just to sip out. 
Basically, the analogy is who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. And I don't think I'll ever comprehend this. But basically what it says is measured heaven with a span. The same word used here in verse 12 is the same word for heaven used in Genesis chapter 1. And what it says is who can measure heaven with the span from your pinky to your thumb, that is the span of your hand. Now think of these billions of planets I just described, billions of galaxies, billions of suns, all this, and there's a God out there who holds it right there. And you say, well, he's forgotten about me. We just read that passage. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? Why would God give us two seconds of the time of day? Mess with us at all. This great, awesome God. Why would he leave heaven and come down to earth? Now turn over to Matthew chapter 2, and let's read verse 1 and following. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now guys, I don't understand this. On the fourth day, something happened. And when God spoke, he didn't just create all this stuff. It's not like he took all the stars and all these planets in his hand and went, roll the dice, let's throw it out there. God didn't just create it. He wound it up somehow, whatever he did. But these planets were put into motion and gravitational pulls and comets and falling stars. And this thing is just unbelievable. But in the mix of all of it, in our little minuscule planet here in this galaxy where we live, he put stars not way out there because he knew when Jesus was born there wouldn't be telescopes so they had to be close enough to be observable but they were not so bright that everybody saw them because Herod didn't even see the star of Bethlehem. The wise men had been watching and tracking the stars and something happened that gave it completely away that there was a baby born, that he was Jewish, that he was a king, that it was all these things described and we'll read through here in just a minute. They came looking for him and Herod had not even seen this but God on the fourth day had to set all of this in motion. And this baby had to be conceived at a specific time so that a few months later it would be born at a specific time and all of this would coordinate. And it would not be by chance. It would not be random. Now you say, well, sure, he can get a virgin pregnant if I'm going to go with that. He can get a virgin pregnant anytime he wants. So he can coordinate that with the stars. But if you roll it up 33, 34 years later and there's a lunar eclipse on the day that Jesus dies and the moon turns to blood, how are you going to get that to happen? It's not like all the Romans are scampering around going, get him crucified fast or prophecy won't be fulfilled. They didn't care anything about that. But these things, he is the first, he's the last, he sees it from the beginning to the end and he can plan and coordinate and get the job done and he's done that. And these wise men come and say, we have seen his star in the east, we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The whole town is stirred up. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Okay, these guys are looking for a king. Have you got a king in your book somewhere? And of course they come back. Now you've got the government involved. Now you've got the religious people involved. And they can't do anything but quote the scriptures. So they come back and say what? So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet in Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So this star had to appear weeks, months before for them to make the trip and get there at the specific right time. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Now, let me point something out. If you go look in Luke chapter 2, it says that you will find the babe. He told the shepherds, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's one word used for babe, that's an infant. But here in Matthew chapter 2, the word is used for young child. Jesus was born and had already grown up a little bit, weeks, months old at this point. He's not an infant, not a newborn anymore. So Herod says, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they had been watching this thing for a long time. When they saw the star, what happened to these wise men? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It was like this is unbelievable. They saw things happen in the sky that were unexplainable, except that God was involved doing something here, and they came to worship. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And I got to tell you something, guys. There are moments, and because of decorum, and you know, we all don't want to look stupid, there are moments in a time of worship when if we really cut loose and did what is in our heart, we'd be on the ground. These wise men had been tracking and following so long. This star stopped over Bethlehem. They found this baby king, this child king now had grown a little bit. And it says when they came into the house, they saw the young child and they fell down and worshiped him. These are intelligent, knowledgeable, educated men who have come a long way for one purpose, to find this kid. And when they finally see him, they drop. I think if we as believers who say and claim to get this, if we would bow, if we would drop, if we would kneel and worship in praise of this king a little more often, the secular world who finally finds him who, or have an impulse to drop would probably do so more readily. There are times when it is appropriate, when it is necessary to get down, to fall on your knees and worship this baby king. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. If you look at the definition in Webster's for a star, the last definition is this, a person who is preeminent in a particular field. A star was born in Bethlehem, but another star to point people, the wise men to him, was born on the fourth day of creation, long before it ever got to that point. Now, I'm not going to sing it, so you don't have to be afraid. But let me read you the poem. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. When the blazing sun is gone, when he nothing shines upon, then you show your little light, twinkle, twinkle, all the night. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Now I've changed the last line of the third verse, but listen to the third verse. Then the traveler in the dark Thanks you for your tiny spark. He could not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder at who you are. A couple thousand years ago in a stable, dingy, dirty stable, a godchild was born, a true star was born that brought light into the darkness and hope and life and peace and forgiveness would be made possible because this little baby would grow up and die on a cross for our sins, be buried and raised from the dead, 
And as the scripture says, turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, literally from death to life. Richard Ellis will return in a moment to wrap up today's talk with a few final words. But first, I want to share some important information about the program. The reason we do this is to share with you the good news. When you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So if you've been on this road for a while or just getting started, let us know how we can help. Maybe you've got some questions, stuck in neutral, or even wondering how to take the next breath. We're here. Give us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. We're here to celebrate with you too. So if this program has made a difference to you and encouraged you in any way, tell us about it. Let's keep this conversation going by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also send us an email through our website, richardellistalks.com. That would really make our day to know how Richard's talks have helped you. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or email us through the website, richardellistalks.com. And speaking of the messages, you can find today's talk along with every message from Richard at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we really believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute to this ministry by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. We would be so grateful for your gifts. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your willingness as great as you are, for your willingness, Lord Jesus, to leave heaven and take on the form of a servant and be born in a simple family, in a simple place, for one simple reason, to rescue us. Father, there is no way in a million years, in a million light years, no matter how far we searched or how far we tried, we would never find you, we would never reach you. As high as we climb, no matter how big the rockets are and how fast they fire, we will never reach you, God. Only because you came to us, because you loved us first, that is the only way we will ever know you. And Father, I pray for those in particular who sometimes in our arrogance, Father, we say, well, I'll decide that when I want to. I'll come to God when I feel like it. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. It's my decision. Father, if we sense your presence and you knocking on the door of our hearts and lives, I pray that we would be wise enough to know that you are not a God to be messed with. And that we should bow internally and externally in awe and adoration and in wonder of what you've done. And that in the midst of it, you've created us and placed us on this planet with the option to accept or reject your amazing love, your amazing grace and mercy and forgiveness. Father, there was no one who could die on that cross and take our place and pay our way but the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as intriguing and amazing as it is, and as cute as you probably were as a baby, most babies are, it didn't end up that way. It didn't end up cute. It didn't end up beautiful for you, but it made it great for us, Lord. And we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for dying in our place, for taking our place, so that you could come live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit and fill us and change us, give us a new heart, a new mind, a new life, a new hope, a new forever with you in heaven. I pray that today would be the day that somebody here beyond would just stop just stop everything and say, enough's enough, God. I know people are praying for me. I know you love me. 
I can't even begin to get my mind or my heart around why you would give a rip about me. God, you know me, you know my past, you know my fears, you know my sin, my shame, my guilt. And I've acted like I'm in control and can take care of all of it, and I can't, Father. And I come to you today, and I bring you my nothing, my messed up past, and my future will be messed up if I don't do something about it today. God, I give you everything. And I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I admit that I've sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me from the inside out. Come to live in me and through me. Thank you for providing a place for me, the gift of eternal life in heaven with you forever, and the forgiveness of sins. I accept the gift. And I ask you to change me and change the world around me and help me declare your glory by the difference you make in my life. And Father, for we who claim to know you and yet live as though we don't, I pray that today, tonight, each step that we take, we would become more awestruck by who you are and what you've done and what you're capable of and that we would not live in fear and that when we pray, we would understand that we pray to the God of the universe who keeps everything together and it's in him that we move and breathe and have our being and that we can trust you, God, and that we can depend on you and that there is nothing that is too hard for you. There is nothing that is impossible for you. Help us pray with that kind of faith, Lord, knowing that you can do it. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talks sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.